0: Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host
1: of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The New York Studio School welcomes artists to join an upcoming five-day virtual painting marathon with their dean and founder of the legendary studio school marathons, artist Graham Nixon taking place this november from thursday november 10th through monday november 14th the studio school's legendary marathons present a wide range of art making strategies comprehensive critiques and inspirational discussions the virtual format enables you to join in real time from your own studio anywhere in the world expansive and experimental marathons equip artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as methodologies for understanding one's experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound Vision is also sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the world's best acrylic paints and mediums, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints. You can get their supplies in art stores everywhere or at goldenpaints.com. You know what keeps me going, making work in the studio, podcasting with artists, teaching, being a dad, and everything else going on? Coffee. Specifically, the amazing coffee from Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes incredible coffee based out of Seattle, and the cool thing is, you can have it delivered straight to your door. Use the code AlfredStudio at checkout and get 20% off your order. They even have subscription services where they deliver different origin beans each week, every two weeks, every month, however often you want your coffee to arrive. I have it, and it's amazing. I love the new blends each time I get a delivery, and they're always really good. Check them out at fulcrumcoffee.com. I've been overwhelmed with the support for Why I Make Art, the Sound and Vision podcast book out on Atelier Editions. The messages from people who are into the book is really great. If you have a copy, please leave a rating and review on Amazon or wherever you ordered it from. It goes a long way at getting the book on the radar of other fans of art who might appreciate the stories of all the amazing artists involved. And if you don't have it, consider picking it up. You can get it via the Sound & Vision website page about the book. I hope it gives you some inspiration in your studio. david scanavino is an artist born in denver colorado who lives and works in providence rhode island he got his bfa at risd and he got his mfa at yale university and he's shown widely in the past 15 years in new york across the country and internationally he's had solo museum exhibitions including imperial texture at the aldrich museum Candy Crush at the Pulitzer Foundation in St. Louis, and Repeater at the Moody Center for the Arts at Rice University in Houston, Texas. He has permanent public commissions installed in the Columbus Metropolitan Public Library and the King Fahd University of Petroleum and Minerals in Saudi Arabia. He's had several solo gallery exhibitions with Klaus von Nixagan Gallery in New York, as well as solo and group exhibitions at Michael Benevento, Marlboro Gallery, Team Gallery, Bureau Gallery, Marion Boski, and Derek Eller Gallery. His work has been reviewed in Art in America, Art Review, the New York Times, and the New York Observer, along with numerous other publications, and is held in public collections including the RISD Museum, the Cleveland Clinic, the Progressive Art Collection, the Pizzuti Collection, and the Rice University Art Collection. David is a faculty member at the Rhode Island School of Design, and he and I spoke about zine culture, Britpop, Providence energy, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yeah,
0: I did uh, two or three shows at that space.
1: Right, and but the work, if I remember, was a little different than this show that's up now, right? Yeah. It was sculpture yeah. mainly. Right. Yeah. So I think when I went to see the show the other day, it was I was like, "Oh wow, this is, you know, it just felt like totally new." I was like, "What?" Yeah. You know, I was very curious. And um and I liked the little the kind of like zine-like catalog was cool.
0: Yeah, the, the scale of, the of that was nice. Like uh I don't know. I feel like that's the perfect size for Small painting catalogs like palm yeah. size, yeah. I love that
1: kind of, yeah. You know, I don't know, it's less that uh, I've done. I used to do ones that are like I used to do CD ROMs or like or, or DVDs with the catalogs because I would collaborate with musicians and mm-hmm. I love that. Like, you know, we grew up in a time where the CD was something cool, you know, yeah, it was like a cool thing. Well, to it's have. also
0: the zine thing, it's also, you know, I don't know exactly what the dimensions of that catalog are, but all those zines. You know, as kids, I think they're like eight and a half by 11 folded in half. You know, all those Z yeah, Rocks. Right. So, uh, and it, it's similar to that size. So I kind of have that connotation with it a little bit. Like, totally. You know, Lo fi, simple, and just direct.
1: Yeah. If you were really avant garde at that stage, you had a, uh, a paper cutter. So your <laughs> zine would be a little different than this eight and a half folded. But just, I did plenty of those eight yeah. and a half by 11 folded zine things. Yeah. Totally. But uh, so you must have. You grew up in Denver, right, or you were born there?
0: I, I grew. I was born in Denver. I grew up in a little town called Evergreen, Colorado,
1: which is like so, suburban but, Denver.
0: No, it's kind of like the. Um, I mean, now it's kind of morphed into a suburban town, but it was kind of a like probably one of the last kind of cowboy rancher towns before nice. you hit, you know, proper Denver. You know. Yeah. And uh, it was a vacation home for a place where people wealthy like people in Denver in like the 1880s used to go. To get yeah. out in the mountains and uh, so but now now you know, with the highway and everything, it's a suburban town,
1: more right. or less and then how did your family end up there
0: uh my my dad uh, was a doctor and he had to do a residency, and he went to school in Ohio, and he wanted to, it was too drab and he wanted to get out of there and um, uh, opportunity opened up in Colorado, and he went out there and was like, this is beautiful out here. So he went for it and my mom and him were together at that point. She was a nurse. Right. And so yeah. yeah, that's that was how we went. That's how we ended up there.
1: It was the the West, the the wonder of that landscape, right? It's so Yeah. Big landscape. Different. Dramatic big yeah. landscape. But they were East Coasters, like growing no, up No, they
0: were Midwest. My well no, my Midwest. mom my mom's French. My mom was born in France and came over okay. to Ohio when she was about fifteen. To study? Uh no, her mom remarried an American. Oh, okay. And, and ended up in Warren, Ohio. Wow, that's a huge difference. Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: a culinary shift,
0: <laughs> <coughs> big time. And for even, some reason, yeah. that
1: jumps out the food because I grew up in Pittsburgh, and yeah. you know the the shift when I go back to visit now versus when I was growing up. Like food culture, obviously with TV and stuff, has become
0: everywhere. It's radically different.
1: So different, but growing up, not a lot of options.
0: <laughs> no, I mean even Colorado food food culture hadn't come around till, you know, two thousand four or something. Yeah. You know? It's like Food
1: Network, I think, did it. You know? That yeah. was like the big push.
0: Something changed. There's no doubt about it. I mean yeah, it's totally different. I mean you can go to small cities in yeah, in Ohio or Pennsylvania and there's still probably be an organic grocery store or something right. like that to a vegetarian option. Yeah, vegetarian yeah. option. It's not just, you know whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, but
1: what a culture shock I imagine.
0: I think it was drastic. I think it was yeah. a pretty difficult transition. Her older sister, who so she was fifteen, her older sister was like sixteen and a half, went back to France, yeah. <laughs> like six months in, and was basically oh, yeah. kind of on her own. Um, so,
1: so, so Ohio, and then that's where. What part of Ohio is that?
0: I don't know. That, I mean, I, I I've been there. Up. I was there kind of recently. I think it's it's near. Uh, it's like an hour and a half from Columbus. Right. It's very much rust belt uh uh car plant, you know. When yeah, people yeah. talk about like blue the, collar. Yeah, very blue collar.
1: And uh so yeah, I mean Colorado must have been a nice breath of fresh air, literally. You know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it is now I mean it's funny, I was there recently and um yeah, you wake up, it smells different. You know, everything it's just yeah. there's so it's it's really invigorating out there. Yeah,
1: different, a different feel. I remember the first time I drove across the country was when I was in high school Mm -hmm. and we just went camping, you know, and when you see that landscape, like out in Colorado or like Utah was pretty epic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just the the scale of things and the smell and the the color. Yeah. You just if you've never seen it, it's pretty like shocking in a
0: way. It's completely shocking. Even when I was there and I hadn't gone to Colorado for a while and I was spending some time there recently. And uh, even when like coming out of like a Target parking lot, there's an enormous cloud, you know, on the horizon, right. and you're like, <laughs> you're like if this if this came over New York, people would be going into bomb shelters. I mean, it's like just right. drastic, yeah. beautiful, you know, kind of threatening thing. Um, yeah, it's yeah that, that landscape, Colorado, Southwest Colorado, Utah, Northern New Mexico, you know, yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. totally different world. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. Amazing. So
1: y- you grew up with that palette, I guess. Yeah, right. I and did just looking at that stuff, but yes. I don't know. Growing up with like um, you know parents in the medical field, how did creativity enter the fold?
0: Um, you know, I, I could draw well pretty early on, and so um, I had a teacher that kind of took my parents aside and said, "Look, you know, David's really good at this," and they were they were like, "Okay, well, let's get him, let's put him in a class on the weekend." And see, you know, see if he wants to do it. And I really took to it, and so I never stopped. That's cool. Yeah, so I never really stopped doing it. And then I just kind of progressed, you know, I was able to take adult classes, and then get into painting, and then you know, just kind of kept moving forward. But I was always really into it, and yeah. um, they didn't get in the way with that, you know. They didn't like push anything or like try to introduce me to things, but uh, I led that. But they didn't, they didn't hold me back on it.
1: They were supportive. Yeah. Yeah, well, where was your first kind of like uh, art viewing, like real art viewing moment? Did you you go to the museum? Would you go into Denver?
0: Yeah, I didn't go to museums really though as a kid. I mean, only I th- the gallery circuit. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, well, they had like this whole kind of style of painting there that was really prevalent, which was kind of like a uh, kind of like a keyed up John Singer Sargent kind of thing, like yeah. wet in the wet kind of keyed up color. And I was kind of painting in that style. So I would go to galleries that showed work like that. Right. But I wasn't aware at all of, I mean, not even contemporary art, really even modern art, really. You know, right. I didn't see a Picasso till, I don't know, it was like twenty nineteen, right? maybe. Yeah, yeah. And know heard, that's
1: always a a moment, right? When you see a Rothko and you're like, what the? F-
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I saw Picasso. I saw, the uh, first one I saw was... a. Uh, uh, a Bather painting from the 20s or 30s, the kind of neoclassical stuff. Oh, those and, are good. Yeah, they're amazing. But, you know, his name is so synonymous for, like, every type of virtuosity and stuff. So anyway, so I saw the painting, and I was like, oh, so that's what everybody's been talking about. Like, these right. these kind of, like, inflated women kind of intertwined with, you know, beach balls floating in the background. And I was like, oh, yeah. so that's what it is, yeah.
1: Yeah, those have a big impact. I remember seeing the, uh, the, the one... That's in the Guggenheim in Venice. at the Peggy Guggenheim collection, and mm-hmm. it's the Bather with the one giant one reaching over, and there's like the the high horizon line, and just yeah. being like amazed. You yeah, know, it's like you see that the stuff in reproduction, but it hits different in person.
0: Well, the scale's perfect, you know. Yeah, the scale's really great, and uh, the, and it's it's never fussy. Although it's pretty worked, but it's never yeah. fussy. But it's pretty worked. But he had a retrospective, like, early Picasso at Boston Museum when I was a freshman at RISD. Oh, will no, do it. And I went there, and that started from, like, the kind of still lifes and stuff he did when he was, like, 14, 15, up yeah. through, like, one or two of the first Cubist things. And that blew right. my mind. And that completely locked into my head. I was like, oh, this is, look at all these possibilities. And, and then I, I totally got it.
1: Yeah, I had a similar experience at the growing up in Pittsburgh at the Carnegie Museum because mm-hmm. they had a Van Gogh exhibit oh, yeah. that was parallel to an ukiyo-e uh, exhibit. So it was kind of like, it wasn't a merging of the two works, but obviously he was heavily influenced by yeah. Japanese prints. So, but it was, you know, a, a selection of work over years and you could see him thinking through the work. Yeah, And that was a light bulb moment of like, oh, wow, you can really see the moves that he's making over time. Yeah, and no one shows that more than Picasso. If you see any, you know, like large-scale Picasso show where they're going over time, it's just like it's like Miles Davis. You know, it's just like one door open after another. You know, he
0: he had a show at the Tate uh, three years ago. I did like a kind of funny kind of weekend trip to London because I had the time. And I was like, I'm just going to do it like a Friday to Sunday type deal. Just <laughs> and, to see the show. That's well, cool. I went there. I had a few days off, and it was my birthday. And my wife was like, "Why don't you just do it?" And So I, and it, you know, the ticket wasn't that much, and we went out. I went out there, and um, anyway, so they had a they had a show. It was called like Picasso 1933 or something, and it was everything he made that year.
1: Oh, Every that's
0: cool. everything, and it was hundreds.
1: 500 works. <laughs> it
0: was hundreds of works. And all these dead ends too that yeah. were incredible. Like he had one of like a, a woman lying down on a bed and, and he decided to just go with these primary color, these really splotchy primary colors everywhere. And then he blended it all with a thick brush. It was just a mess, you know? And he's like, yeah. no, let's back off from that. Let's try this now. And you could see exactly like the, kind of the Miles Davis analogy. Him right. just opening up possibilities again and again and again. And it was one year of work. So... I mean, yeah, that
1: stuff has a huge effect, right, yeah. on your psychology of being an artist. Because, I mean, that guy clearly had the, sit, the setup. Like, he had the time. Like, he, mm. it was basically his entire life was an incubator for just ideas and being able to. Yeah. It was facilitated, and he took advantage of it. I mean, he just went to town, you know.
0: And he had so, so little resistance, too, between his head and his hand, you know. Yeah. There was, yeah. like, there's no, like, you know, le- two left feet thing going on. You know, it was very mm-hmm. smooth
1: yeah and it's amazing because you know that you study about the breadth of the work but then when you see it like i went to the picasso museum in barcelona pre-covid and saw the las meninas like that group of works like come on
0: yeah yeah. it
1: blew me away you know like i didn't know i I knew some of the images and i've seen them in reproduction but when you go see the mind and the intensity of the investigation of one painting it's like you know it's amazing.
0: When I was at Yale, uh, uh, Mel Bachner gave a slide lecture on the lower right-hand side of that painting, with the it's like the little kid kicking the dog, and, oh, it's, yeah. and, it, and it's these riffs off of Matisse paintings, basically. You know, and he was talking about his like, because I think he did those after Matisse had died, those Las Minas. I think Matisse had just oh died. Picasso, yeah Picasso, Picasso had, a... had, yeah had done right. those
1: after not Matisse. the Velasquez. I thought you meant the Velasquez at the beginning.
0: Oh, no, no, the no. Original. No, not the original. The the Picasso riffs. Yeah. Is yeah. that what you're talking about? The Las Minas riffs?
1: Yeah, the riffs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I No, I thought you were referring to the original. Oh, no, no, but, not yeah, the original. Picasso zoomed in. Yeah. Like, you could see his thinking both formally with his investigation of, like, what he was doing with brushstrokes and all that stuff and yep. the abstraction, but also, like, what he's looking at in yeah. the painting and decoding, basically. Yeah. So, this was the the kicking the dog thing, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the lower right-hand side, there's a little kid kicking a dog. And uh, and but he's also he's also quoting all these Matisse paintings around the cutout time period, and it's pretty uh. impressive. Yeah, it's like. And Mel Bachter had been really fascinated by that, and he went and on and on and talked about it. So that's
1: amazing. You know, I remember those classes with Mel, but I don't remember what they were about. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice that you have a memory of. I maybe my memory's just shit, but I can't remember. The only thing I remember from Mel was like before I was about to graduate Uh and he came in and he just sat down and crossed his legs and like looked around and he's like, so what are you going to do basically? So what are you going to do? You know? And I was like, well, I'm going to move to New York. He's "Yeah, it's not easy. (laughs) (laughs) That just like stuck in my head of like, Oh yeah, I guess I, I, I imagined it wouldn't be easy, but but it was funny. It was just, you know, that little (laughs) words of wisdom of like, Hey, listen, buddy, go ahead. But it ain't easy.
0: Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he, you know, he he had such a, when were you there?
1: I uh, graduated in 99.
0: Okay, so I was like four years after you when I graduated. But he had such a presence in the school when I was there, at least. You know, he was like such a. Oh, yeah, yeah. he's the, yeah, he you was, know,
1: he's an enigma. Yeah. But I think you probably, like right after I graduated, I believe there was a big shift. Yeah. Like there, there were a lot of people who left and it was kind of like the old guard was kind of like retiring out or or, you know, just just not around as much or something?
0: No, definitely. There it was moving from one school to another basically. And and yeah. Peter Halley was brought on as the department head. And he right. was kind of the the I don't know Fulcrum. I don't know what the words. But anyway, he was like the middle where it shifted around him basically. And uh um, right. a whole new bunch of visiting artists. But then you had a lot of the old guard from the sixties and seventies and eighties that were still, you know, Doing their thing, and they were kind yeah, of they, yeah. They they live
1: in the building in one of those crevices. They would just like bring them out <laughs> yeah. to do a like a lecture or something. Like <laughs> he couldn't crawl back man. into the yeah, the walls out. and keep making figurative paintings that are dynamic or whatever. No, yeah. I'm joking, but yeah, the 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 legacy of that old guard was like heavy duty.
0: Well, you know? uh, what's his name? William Bailey? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. He, Bill. I he, called Bill. him Bill. Yeah. <laughs> so Bill wasn't there any longer, but yeah. Um, he was very much still in the school, you know, and it'd be like, well, Bill was here last night. No one ever, no one ever saw him. So it was really like this spirit or something, you know, right. I think he still was pulling a lot of strings behind this, you know, yeah, behind the scenes. The Andrew
1: you. Forge, Dick Lytle, Dick Lytle. Yeah, I had Dick in the studio. He was <laughs> he was an interesting guy, too. Yeah, those those it was pretty. I mean, I would love to talk to those guys now. When I was a student, I didn't know shit. I was just like young and I was like, I don't care about this old stuff. I yeah. was making paintings based on fractals and crap. It was yeah. like, you know, weird futuristic yeah. feeling stuff. And I just couldn't relate. But now I, you know, it'd be so fun to like sit there and like, you know, have them tell stories. Although Robert Reed was amazing and he was the guy that I connected with. I feel like he bridged a gap pretty well between the old and the new.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's had a really nice uh, revival of his paintings, too, you know, a resurgence yeah. in his work in the last couple of years. Um, yeah. He was on, he, you know, he was, like, he retired the year, I think, after I left. He, like, by the time I was there, he was, he was, he was still great. He was always really thoughtful, but you could tell he was kind of, he'd been there a long time and he was getting a little tired. Oh, high.
1: yeah. He put the time in, man. He yeah. was That's a long time time Well, so let, well, let's go back. So okay, you sure. you did the, the art stuff in in school yep. and then RISD. How did that come about? Like, were, I mean, was it just like you were looking at art schools? Because remember, uh, this is pre internet. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I didn't have that choice.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I was just looking at art schools. I did a uh, summer program at uh, Chicago yeah. and I loved it. And I came back and I was looking at art schools and I, uh, you know, I didn't I wasn't very sophisticated, you know what I mean? Like I didn't know all the ins and outs of schools and who did what and you know, and also you're right, it's before the internet, so you know, it was either word of mouth or the pamphlet they sent you, you know? Yeah. And so you yeah. didn't really know what so anyway, when I was in Chicago a lot of people kept talking about Ruiz as a really nice school. And then I got the pamphlet and it felt like a totally different environment. In Chicago um, which I really liked, but, uh, I don't know the idea of being on the East coast and by the water seemed nice, yeah. you know? And so, um, and I knew it was a good school and that was it basically. So I, I played Chicago and I played to RISD and then, um, I ended up going to RISD.
1: And what years were you at RISD?
0: 97 to 2001.
1: So where this is like, it's peak Providence. It was great. You know, I mean, music and culture and. shenanigans it
0: was totally a great great time to be at RISD the a lot of great students who've gone on to do really interesting stuff and then also Fort Thunder and that whole music culture was really at its you know height and um it just had a lot of energy you know and there were a lot of cool things going on and me coming from you know Evergreen, Colorado and going to parties at Fort Thunder you know blew my mind yeah
1: yeah slightly different clientele yeah I mean just like energy
0: yeah I mean just watching these steel cage they had this steel cage wrestling match and people would come up in costumes and lightning bolts would be playing music and it was just a kind of a free-for-all and it was great
1: yeah it sounds amazing and was it as 200 or 2000 or
0: something as 220
1: 220 and that was like a music venue because like when I was in a band we played there I remember and that seemed like a place that
0: that's still going
1: yeah oh really yeah yeah they're still still, there
0: yeah it's like it does all these things It has a music venue i think it has a bar it it has a gallery space it has a bunch of stuff like that yeah it's
1: kind of cool like you know you wonder if like provincial energy like that is exists in the same way now because i feel like the internet took so much of that and made it like a cloud energy in a way where other people but you know like Back in the day, when you go to DC, there was a scene. You know, yeah. it was a group of people, with some bands, it was some artists, and yeah, they had their thing. And I, I think now it's a little more open, you know, because of you know social media and all that stuff. Which is, you know, it has its pluses and minuses both ways. But yeah, Providence definitely had a it had a thing going.
0: I mean, it's still you know I've kind of aged out of that, you know, so I don't know exactly what's going on we now. All have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. It definitely is a city that has, like, it's got a lot of beautiful architecture and the, you know, the price to get things rolling is so, it's pretty low, relatively yeah. low. So, you know, there's a lot of art students and there's a lot of, you know, I don't know, kind of young people that now, I think they, in a weird way, it kind of, the internet thing is maybe over time actually supported the local stuff because people feel like, well, I can have this local thing. And still get it out into the world, you know, as opposed to having the local thing sucked it, you know, sucked out of the neighborhood. Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, I imagine you fed off the energy of of that scene. But at the same time, did you because all that stuff was about kind of like the effort attitude of like, we're just going to like go all out. Yeah. And explore and break down like a convention of what anything was. Really. It was about pushing that, you know. And uh, did that bleed its way into what you were doing creatively or was that its own thing
0: that no i mean it had a huge presence at RISD, you know and like they were like you know they were definitely like blurring you know like you know kind of punk rock diy poster with textiles with you know with with sculpture with painting with music and all that uh and i loved it i thought it was great but it didn't I don't know, I mean I'm sure it did on some level, but I was always fairly I mean, austere on some some point, you know. And right. um, and I was still doing figurative work, you know, and I was and I was never very much into comics. You know, and I think comic right. culture was a big part of that scene.
1: Definitely. And yeah.
0: uh, and I never was very much of a comic book person. Right. Um, but I loved it. I mean I thought it was cool, you know. I mean I would collect four Thunder posters and stuff. I thought it looked great. But Oh
1: yeah. It was, and it was, even though you could see the influence of the stuff that might have fed into it, it was definitely its own thing, you know.
0: Yeah, and then when I got out of there, when I went to grad school, you could start to see it really seep out of Providence, and then, you know, yeah. it wound up in Japan, it wound up in Europe, it wound up in all over the world. Right, and, um, yeah,
1: it was influential yeah. in that sense.
0: It definitely was an aesthetic, for sure, that people, you know, responded to.
1: Right, So, so what's your... Like, what's your undergrad thesis and body of work that you could apply to grad school? Did you take time in between?
0: No, I went straight from undergrad.
1: Uh, double dip. I did that too. I did. So why not just <laughs> Why not just go deep into it?
0: <laughs> I mean, I you know, I was graduating and I was like, "What am I gonna do?" And and I had heard a lot about uh, Yale painting, and I was like, "Well, I'll apply, you know, and see what happens." And uh, I got in, and I kind of felt like I should go, so I did, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, that
1: was the the thing whenever I was applying to grad schools. Back then, it was like people would just tell you, like, oh, if you want to do this, you got to go to grad school. And you're like, oh, okay. And then they were like, yeah, these are the places you should apply to. Yeah. And then there was a little bit of a thing where, you know, a teacher or someone would say, like, oh, well, maybe you need to go out in the real world and work a year or two. Yeah. And then I had a teacher who told me, like, well, just apply. If you get in, you get in. If you don't, then go live in the real world for a year or two. And then yeah. we apply. Yeah, which I mean, what I did so.
0: yeah I mean that's that's exactly what I was thinking you know and uh, so my, my work when I was at RISD was I was still it was very kind of like Dave Hockney esque right. you know like figures in you know in this like very rendered but very flat kind of Egyptian almost you know like mm-hmm. profile frontal right. profile and um you know, kind of like psychological interior spaces and very, uh, maybe have a b- birthday or someone taking a shower, you know, that's most right. explicitly Hockney. And uh, uh, yeah, that was it, you know. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, that was very much kind of what I was working out of, you know, and I still was thinking a lot about figuration and things like that. But I had no idea what the figurative conversation was in New York or anything, you know.
1: Right, um, yeah. Because, no, we were in, like, in a bubble. Yeah. Again, like, internet really wasn't there yet. So,
0: Totally. You, you know, know,
1: you're just doing your thing.
0: Yeah, people don't, I mean, maybe they do realize, but you don't, you know, you, it was hard. You had to be really know what was up to know what was being shown. You know, you had to do a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and even art magazines, by the time you made it to an art magazine, you know, in a, in a meaningful way, you'd already had, you know, six or seven big shows under your belt, you know. So it wasn't mm. even like, I don't know, maybe that's an exaggeration, but you're already pretty much in the mix. And... Um, so yeah, you didn't really know, you know, yeah. what was going on. And I didn't know. You would get
1: postcards or and that's yeah. the thing you would get snippets. Yeah. I remember going once in a blue moon. I would go like in undergrad I went a couple times and then in grad school a couple times. When you go to New York, it's like that work hit so hard because it was really the only time you're seeing stuff in person like shows, you know. Yeah. Otherwise it's just art form or art in America or little you know one reproduction with a written thing or one ad. Or a yeah. postcard. Well, that so yeah, yeah. I'm sure it trying, had a big yeah. effect. I think
0: definitely. Well, even you know the ads, it's a detail. Yeah, <laughs> right. you know, the full yeah, page yeah. You're detail. Yeah, you not the whole thing. Or yeah. you know, a thumbnail. And so the only yeah, the only people who had substantial coverage were you know like four or five page stories were, you know, pretty historical at that point. Yeah. Or or, or maybe not historical, but been around for a bit.
1: Who were your, you don't have to answer this. That's right. Who was the, the two people on your interview when you interviewed for grad school?
0: Uh, Sam Messer and yeah, Sam. Um, Kurt Copper. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's
1: cool. Yeah. So that was, uh, even then it was, because uh, I think Sam just came in and started doing a little bit of stuff when I was there. Okay, But, I th- you know, obviously he became more you know, entrenched in the program and stuff. And Kurt wasn't there when I was there.
0: And they also represent, they're both figure painters. So maybe I was paired up with them. And they also represented two totally different schools of thought on the, on the figurative front. That's
1: interesting. Do they, do you think they, they pair people to?
0: I don't know. I don't think they do actually.
1: I was on that panel or not panel. I was one of the, between the first and second year, they cho- choose a couple students who supposedly get a vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Which I think they tell you it's like, yeah, you'll get like 2% of the vote or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you know. But, but you know, we got to see the process. And I don't remember that much of it at all, but yeah. it was interesting to see how they go through the slides and stuff.
0: They, you know, I think they have they have good eyes, you know. I think there's yeah, a lot. Yeah. There's a. I mean, I remember there were people who got selected um, – because I kind of I kind of uh saw that process my second year and yeah. I wasn't one of the the representatives uh representatives of the of the student body but anyway I went in there and I watched it and there were people that I was like you know definitely a hard no on and yeah. they would be like well I don't know and those artists I can think of people in particular really went on to do pretty interesting stuff and they were the the faculty was much smarter than I was you know right s- well
1: you yeah, I mean you teach yeah Right so you see potential. So you can you can judge a work based on what it is at the moment, but then you can judge a student's work. You could see kind of like, oh, well this might not be there yet, but they're really digging at something interesting here and it's probably going to, you know, it has a chance to blossom into something really good, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you you don't when you're younger, you're so convinced of like the the aesthetic that you're in, you know, or the time right. you're in. That you just see it as like the conclusion of everything that came before, right. and which is so stupid. But you think that way a little bit, you know. And so when you see something that is a little awkward or something, you you might be like, "Well, that seems lame or passe or something." But in reality, right. it's got it's got a lot of you know fireworks inside of it.
1: Yeah, that might be the door that opens up to something yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But we're, we're, most of us are trained that way, though. The reason we go. Like I remember the work that I showed to get into school to grad school was like pretty locked and loaded like it was a body of work that was cohesive and you know yeah but at the same time like at that point you shouldn't necessarily have that yet you know it yeah. should more be about energy and your attitude and like you know your your fight in a way it Absolutely. is important to to show that you can do that that you can present and then you know yeah but it's hard when you're an undergrad to really know what the hell you're doing, you know. Definitely, <laughs> it's
0: like I mean, I I dropped almost all of that uh, about a month into uh, into Yale or two months. Oh yeah, everything yeah. I was doing, I dropped. You know.
1: Well, they're good at breaking down that yeah floor, you know, from under yeah. you. Basically, re- hitting the refresh button, restarting the engine, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely, and it was also like at that age, you're you're you know. I think emotionally and intellectually you change quite a bit at, you know, 22, 23, 24. And so, so you're, you're relating to people and relationships in different ways. And then you're like, oh, I can bring that into my art too. And look at all these other possibilities. And, and that also you start shedding things that, you know, are just carry ons from your teachers when you were 16 or something, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, um, so when you were in New Haven, what was, was music still a part of your day to day in any way? Were you a big music fan, or going to see any music?
0: Uh, I was seeing random shows, but it wasn't a big part. I was really into Britpop.
1: <laughs> oh, nice! That
0: was a big um, thing that I really liked a lot. You know, but God, that w-
1: year, what are we talking? Because this is post Shoegazer and like this like know, Blur and all that. Yeah,
0: stuff. this is like two thousand one to three. So it's kind of the. Yeah, I mean, common people. I uh, this is hardcore came out around. I well, no, hardcore came out in '97, and then uh, oh, that that third pulp album, uh, Trees, <laughs> oh, produced by Scott see, I, Walker. I never,
1: I never got in. I did, I wasn't on the Jarvis Cocker, but I, I just didn't.
0: Yeah.
1: Go there, but I, you know, I was into like when I was in high school, we were in like a shoegazer band. Oh, really? We were listening to Ride and Lush and Slow Dive and. Yeah. You know, little teenage fan club and other stuff, but or, or blur, like the early blur. But yeah, I we never moved into like Verve was where we stopped at like showman, like you know, yeah, like yeah. The Richard Ashcroft kind of like pomp and circumstance. And we just didn't go past that. I think uh, we morphed into like getting into indie rock. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and then I left the the pulp bus, but I know that it's great stuff. I just never really—it's
0: definitely showman, you know. I mean, it's a very yeah. particular type. It's very British, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, and it's—it's it's, like... It's like the most, you know, with like the Kinks and the Fall or something, like the most British group ever, you know
1: oasis and them yeah right? yeah they, yeah, oasis, they, yeah every nme was just nothing but pulp and oasis.
0: <laughs> i used to get NMEs in uh this magazine called q which uh um, oh yeah yeah and that was also the same thing everything liam you know tells us this or noel tells us that you know on the right. cover yeah
1: they were just so into saving british music you know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah um Yeah, it's funny, yeah. I mean, and also that Manchester thing led to so much uh, rave culture too, which is also kind of another chapter to it.
1: Yeah, it's a funny splinter. You know, I went, it's funny because someone reached fairly, I mean, within like the past year or something was listening to Stone Roses and I like had a glitch. Yeah. Because that was such a big part of my high school, you know? Yeah. And, um, but that music did, like the Happy Mondays and Stone Roses went on to, to, you know, a little bit of a bridge to electric, electronic stuff in England, I
0: think. A touch. I listened to Sun Roses recently and uh, the first album, and it was great. I still really got it. Oh, it, it holds yeah, up. Yeah, it was fantastic. And um, it's funny, I used to get my hair cut by a guy who knew all those people. He was this guy from Manchester. Really? Yeah, yeah. He, he cuts hair in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and he... He was a Manchester guy, and he cut Tony Wilson's hair when he was, like, 16. <laughs> and so, so when he was, like, 16, he used to cut Tony Wilson's hair, and Tony Wilson would bring him over to some bar next to the hacienda, and, uh, and he would hang out there. So he got to know all these guys. And so he and I used to always get in these. Kind of debates where he kept trying to convince me that the Happy Mondays were a good band, <laughs> and I was, I was like, I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah, know. it's
0: definitely a thing. And he was he he loved them, you know. And I was like, I don't know. The, what's his name? Jez? the name? Jazz? The oh, the, right. the guy. And I was like, I don't know about yeah. jazz, or you know. He's like he's you know. They were hitting yeah, they, were. they were hitting notes in, like British culture that I just didn't get, you know. It's a deep cut. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, it, yeah. it's I'm trying to think of the American equivalent. We've got one. I don't know what it is, but yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it's it's deep. Um, yeah. So after yeah, like your experience there was pretty good. I could take no. it. And then it was it wasn't. <laughs> people didn't jive. It didn't jive.
0: No, I mean it was it was a good thing to go through because it was pretty difficult for me. You know, like I, you know, there was a lot of attention being given to like young artists out of these grad schools. And so a lot of people really had that on their, you know, on their horizon. Like, how am I going to get a show straight out of this? Right. And when I got into Yale, I kind of, you know, I stopped painting really. And I didn't really know what I was putting back together yet. So when I got out of Yale, I actually threw away everything I made the the day I graduated. So I moved to New York with nothing, you know, in terms of my work. And, um, And also the work at Yale at the time was really, uh, there was a lot of, there was like definitely the older faculty that were doing this kind of New York school painting. You know, they were like this, you know, there was a lot of painters who came by who now I like quite a bit, but at the time were kind of in the wake of um, uh, Matthew Barney, you know, and they they were really into this idea of like creating a kind of uh, an imaginative fantasy parallel universe you know and yeah. you had these cast of characters like Inka Essenheim or Matthew Ritchie or you know and you had this cast of characters doing this stuff and then you would kind of hodgepodge different styles together to make this yeah. sort of thing and I think a lot of them had come up from a kind of more didactic kind of more political 90s art world and they right. they really enjoyed the freedom that he kind of gave them um for me at that point I was uh I don't know. I just, you know, I had a chip on my shoulder. I, I, I don't think I was particularly happy. And I also, I thought the fantasy quality of it, which now I love and I think it's great. But at the time, I kind of wanted something a little more concrete, and a type of realism, you right. know, than, uh, than was kind of the, I don't know, flavor.
1: <laughs> yeah, what well, people were really excited about. It, yeah. Because there's yeah. always, you know, good work being done and all Absolutely. Facets, abstraction, whatever it is. But then there's also the, you know, the vibe of the day or or like whatever's hitting, you know, which is there's a truth to that because most of that work is coming out of something that people are like, oh, yeah, this is a way to take this somewhere new. You know, there's still be great work being made in other areas in different ways. But sometimes that spotlight hits Mm -hmm. a certain group of people who are making some, you know, interesting stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was a genuine response. You know, I mean, I think that i mean I, I i don't doubt the sincerity or anything at all. I mean, I think it absolutely was hitting something you know that really resonated with a lot of people you know
1: yeah well if you take if you take those two artists, like Matthew Ritchie and Inca s and I mm-hmm. they were kind of pre seeing what was going to be happening with with Matthew with like information systems and complexity yeah. and Before the internet went off or AI went off in Inca with this fantasy kind of like, you know, an extraterrestrial kind of like a augmented world or something, you know what I mean? Before it was even like now that's been baked into like culture in a way, you know, it's, it's systemic to the way that we encounter culture and visual information. And, you know, the, the people who are dealing with realism at that point, maybe the excitement was about this new world or whatever, this new, you know, technology that was going to come. And then once that blew up, and then people, obviously, they, it's cyclical. They come back and they're like, the real stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. the portraits or the, the the people who are like right next door to us or things like that. yeah you know? So it's it makes sense, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, maybe it gets more bodily or then maybe it gets more like, Abstract and back to, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it does make sense, you know. I mean, and those yeah. paintings I think look cool now, you know. I just also, yeah. it's like when you're 22 or 23, I think you pick things that you're not almost more than what you are, you know, right. like you kind of, yeah, a, yeah. and you're like, that's, I'm not going to do that, you know, more than, yeah, let's bring that on board.
1: Also, there's a part of you that you want to be on the wave you realize the entire tide is going in one direction and you're in there. But you, part of you, kind of wants to be on the wave because you want to feel like what you're doing is connecting with people conceptually and, and and visually. So if you're still just sort of like you know moving along with the current, but you're not on the wave, you're like, wait, am I still here, everyone? You know what I yeah. mean? You feel more self conscious about it. I think when you get older, you're like, screw it, on it. This is the this is the river I'm going down. If you like it, great. If not, I'm still going down this river. So you know.
0: But also, though, I think that. I think that's definitely true. Uh, But I also think that, like, by the time that that wave, that kind of work was hitting the grad school, I think there's already another one. You know what I mean? I think we were... Oh, totally. We were three years behind, you know? Right, right. And so I was getting much more into, like, kind of process-based, found object kind of material abstraction, you know? And when I got out of grad school, not immediately after, but fairly soon after... That was much more prevalent, you know, and I yeah. and I felt like I was kind of had already put some time into that way of thinking.
1: Right. So, yeah. what did you did you move to New York right away?
0: Yeah, two thousand
1: three. And where uh, did you just find a place in Bushwick or something?
0: I was in uh, off the Lorimer stop. Oh, and there you go. So I was off the Lorimer stop, right around the uh, corner from Union Pool. Oh, and nice. So yeah, and I had a I had a pal as a roommate, and then I had a studio that I in Greenpoint with another one of my, uh, Yale, uh, graduates. The pencil factory? Exactly. Sixth floor. I mean, there's
1: not many in Greenpoint. There's like one of five buildings probably at that in mid two thousands where you are, you know? Yeah. There was the one over on not India street. What was that one? It was like a two story building.
0: Yeah. I don't remember. You know, there's,
1: there's places, but yeah, yeah, the pencil factory ghostly was in that building. I don't know if they still are, but do you know ghostly records?
0: No, I mean the there was uh, on the second floor was like a puppet maker or something for Sesame nice. Street or something. So you go down there and there'd be these enormous, um, you know, like foam heads with googly. That's eyes. always fun to walk into and it see. Was, it was cool. And then and then actually it was really funny. The um, and then the second third there was there was a, a guy on our floor. There were three people on our floor that I remember, and one was a guy that restored. Posters like art, like uh, Art Nouveau posters, you know, and he was really skilled at that. It was really kind of cool to go see all the techniques he came up with to hide his like gouache and stuff. But it's funny, he kind of fell into a second career, which I actually think paid more, which was there was a a guy in China that was forging John Lennon signatures on Beatles memorabilia. (laughs) who was like i sure. guess the best. You know, this guy had had the perfect, you know, speed with the pen and everything. And this guy who did the posters could spot the fakes. Wow. And so he had a That's whole That's an eye. Yeah, so he had a whole side business where he would have all these posters that would be signed by George Harrison and everybody and then the John Lennon, he would have magnifying glasses and stuff like that and he would and he would tell him cuz if, if it yeah exactly cuz if it had that signature it was worth thousands of dollars more you know
1: He was like the guy they call him pawn stars before that existed yeah. to come yeah. like verify it Yeah but It's like you sniff the ink and it's like mm, this ink isn't that old yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that guy I was just talking to my wife about that the the guy who was forging there was like a documentary on it. Yeah. I forget. An older gallery, maybe it was. There? I don't know. Yeah. It, but it was the guy who was in Queens, like making fake Rothko's and stuff, and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. I've modern, heard about that. But he was, the dude was like in Sunnyside making it in his garage. <laughs> <laughs> it's like crazy. And they were eventually like, they're like, oh, yeah, this paint isn't 70 years old. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like, that's what it takes. Like nowadays, you can't get anything by anyone.
0: Well, you know what I mean? One thing, the, do you ever hear about the guy who's made fake Vermeer's? For Nazis, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. you look at those Vermeers; they don't look anything like a Vermeer. Right? Yeah, it's weird how, like, you know, you see things through your time or through your values, and totally. and then you, you know, so you know, we think of a Vermeer-, Vermeer in one way. You know, Germans in nineteen you know forty two thought of it as another way, and he made Vermeers for that. And you look at him now, and you're like, how did anybody think this was a Vermeer? It's like this. That's so
1: interesting, isn't it? Yeah,
0: this crowded thing with six figures, and everyone's touching each other, and they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, all the blue is keyed up 20% too much, and... You know, and all this stuff. It's weird, yeah.
1: Well, uh, and also now we just have the information. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. they made. You know, it's hard to fake any of that stuff. Yeah. It was so fun. Back to our, the time of being in school and stuff. It was so fun to go to thrift stores because you could find stuff cheap that was amazing. Yeah. And now everyone knows what they have. Yeah. So you can't, it's it's not the same. You could go find an old Strat in like a garage sale or, you know, and now they would Google it and they'd be like, "Oh, I have a '57 Strat. It's worth like you know thousands of dollars." And yeah, it's totally different now. You know.
0: No, I had a roommate that used to go to uh, garage sales and buy like you know really nice synthesizers. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, like all Analog these sense. yeah, all these synths, and um, and then he would sell them to musicians, you know, like indie bands and stuff for a lot right. of money. But it was all like these older older moms. Sons, right? You know, who moved out of the house, and they were like, just get this thing out of my house. <laughs> this
1: gigantic moog, yeah, that exactly. looks like one, one of those, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like where you're patching telephone lines together It's, it's but,
0: exactly what it looks like. And I'd wake up in the morning, and he'd be like, I just got a great moog, blah blah blah. You know, it'd be neck in the kitchen, you know, yeah,
1: yeah. Speaking yeah. of a like, I think on Union, there's I don't know if it's still there, but there was like an analog synth place where you could just go in there, and they had all of it like amazing analog synths.
0: Oh, where was that on, on, on Lormer
1: union? I think it was on union. Um, Hmm. just a few blocks east, east of, uh, of grand street, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Okay. I forget the name of it, but it was pretty cool. It was just like, you don't see that much anymore. It's kind of a niche like thing, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's like a museum.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 You're not going to find too many deals. That's for sure though.
1: Right. So, well, being in Williamsburg, you just got set up. Like, what was the? How did the work change in relation? To, and were you? Did you have a? Your studio in Greenpoint was. Yeah. You know, you had puppeteers and. Yeah. Oh, oh guys. the other thing
0: I had, I had puppeteers. Speaking of music, I also had next to me, uh, uh, I don't know what the guy did, but his, um, the guitar player for the Saturday Night Live band, uh, the blonde oh. guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh my God.
0: Really famous, like studio musician, you know.
1: Yeah, I'll think of his name in a second.
0: Jay, or... He used to jam in there all the time, too. He really? was Yeah, he was in there all the time. So I would come to the studio, and uh, he'd be next door, and they would have the door open, and he'd be, you know...
1: That's crazy. It was
0: awesome, yeah. Was it
1: soundproofed?
0: Barely. I mean, the, all the walls and that, you know, because it's an old factory. All the walls yeah, are yeah. just basically drywall. Raw, raw yeah, drywall, with nothing in between. And then that guy's studio space that he put up some, you know. G. Tank. E. Smith. G.E. Smith, yeah, that's just it. popped in. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, G.E. Smith, and so he would be there quite a bit. And then uh, that guy put up soundproofing, and you know, but it, yeah. it, it wasn't really, you know, wasn't like actual soundproofing.
1: What a wacky building. Yeah, I totally. went there the first time to visit Chuck Webster's studio. He used to have a studio oh. in that building, and then Eddie Martinez was next to him, and I think there was a lot of turnover there, you know.
0: Yeah, we I read in it from this woman um, who was uh, from Hawaii, and so she, nice. it was actually her place, and she moved back to Hawaii, but she didn't want to give it up. So oh, wow. I I just I read, you were subletting. Basically. I was sub yeah exactly. And so,
1: but on a long term basis, <laughs> yeah,
0: I was there for. Her. I mean, the place was so funny because it, it, it wasn't that big. I don't know, it was probably 300 square feet, maybe. And it okay. was two of us, and it had an enormous radiator. It had enormous windows on one side and an enormous radiator underneath those windows. Not and, a lot of
1: working space, right? No,
0: and it would get <laughs> so hot. Ugh. And I started doing these encaustic paintings, and one day I came in, and all the paintings were uh, gone. You Know, like they, they were, were just on the floor, yes, they were all on the floor. There were <laughs> piles of red and green on the floor, and the canvas was like,
1: Oh, was that the light bulb moment of starting to work in the environment?
0: <laughs> no, but that was a moment where I was like, oh, I gotta get a new studio <laughs> that moment. <laughs> From, and then I went then to, I'll, I'll
1: work on the floor if I want to do yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not gonna have the painting choose for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I'm in charge of this, so um, right. so then I ended up in Bushwick, okay. I was at the BFP Brooklyn Fireproof uh studios.
1: That's where's that? What street is that on? It's
0: on Ingraham. It's one nineteen oh, Ingram. Right, right. And uh okay. it was okay. And I, I with my uh my friend from uh Yale, Jesse Chapman, we went over there. And I was nice. there for about ten years. So
1: Wow. That's a ten year.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. That's
1: good. Uh, yeah, my my studio's closer to Metropolitan. Like it's just where East Williamsburg becomes Bushwick. Oh, I you know remember exactly. Remember where Third remember. Ward used to? Remember Third Ward those days? It was yeah. that like where you could go rent spaces. Oh, it's exactly. Like right and it
0: had a cafe, and then it had a, a, yep. a wood shop and all that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah so that area. And but across the street,
0: far. across the streets where they cut trees in half, right?
1: Yep. And you could get those amazing pieces of wood that's gone now i think it's a oh, cement really? mixing truck company or something but okay yeah that neighborhood has changed i mean just since i've been there it's it's really changed now yeah. it's a lot of coffee roasters you know mm. and uh and record company or record labels and and like photo studios it's gotten more it's still creative in a way but it's yeah. it's definitely gotten more like business oriented
0: okay yeah I mean, it's funny because it's hard to, it's not the best looking street, you know? So it's there's probably, yeah, I don't know. I'm just wondering how that affects gentrification or something, you know? It's coming. I mean, it comes
1: one way or another. They've been a bunch of new buildings. Like developers figured it out. They're like, oh, okay. We'll come and build like little more slightly nicer buildings that are still used for creative studios or business office spaces. And they charge a ton of money.
0: Uh yeah, do they sell the, really the train tracks running through that? Is it train tracks? Yeah, right like there? when you
1: go over there, there's. I mean, there's. It's not really used much, okay. but yeah, it's yeah. still. It's still there. Yeah, but that whole area is getting much more. You yeah, know, I'm Roberta's sure. is over there now. There's all sorts of food. Yeah, and,
0: yeah, totally. Roberta's. Yeah. It's funny. The guys who opened Roberta's used to do maintenance work in my studio building. Oh and, really? Yeah, and uh, they were telling me that they're going to open up. This is like in two thousand. I don't know five or six and they're like we're opening up a pizza place down the street and i remember thinking like good luck luck with that yeah good luck. who the hell is gonna you know but
1: bill clinton that's who's gonna yeah i know exactly i didn't know (laughs) what i was talking about but i really felt like this is
0: like (laughs) i hope this isn't your savings you know
1: yeah right like what a shitty idea i mean now they're like you can buy it off fresh direct for your freezer and stuff you know what i mean like in atlanta
0: at whole foods i think it's
1: good pizza though it is i have to say definitely is the first time I went there, there was all this hype, and I went there, and I was like, "All right, I get it. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> Even good. the salad was good."
0: Totally good for them.
1: But uh, so, the, how did the work change in in the time that you were in Brooklyn? Um,
0: well, there was a couple things. I mean, like I, you know, so I I got out of Yale. I went into um, I was in Brooklyn, and I was painting a little bit, and I was starting to move into sculpture touch like I want this idea of like real like this I had this like fact like I wanted something concrete and something that uh, was of the world somehow like something from right. the world I was bringing in you know yeah. and I, I had a few things happen to me around this time a little bit before that and like one thing was I when I was a, a, in Colorado I had graduated from Columbine High School oh geez so I was invited by the principal there um, in 99 to visit the school after the tragedy. You know, I had done a big mural in the school right before I left, and I was invited there by the principal to kind of walk around and see, because they were redesigning the school. Like, they were putting a new floor, and new wallpaper to kind of change the emotional pitch. So when students came back, it felt different, but they didn't have the money to actually knock it down, you know, they were just changing. Yeah. So he kind of gave me a walk around and I and I looked at the floor tiles, you know. So it was like the space I knew really well. It was super charged now, obviously, and it was just yeah. like the, the pitch of it had just shifted a little bit and it was, I became hyper aware of these changes, you know. And yeah. I thought that this floor tile that they had moved to this green color would be a material I could use to make work like it was something that was that confused with architecture and the space and I Had a lot of memory and connotations with it And so I started using that as a material the floor tile material
1: where did you source that stuff?
0: I, I called up a you know 1-800 tile company You yeah. know and I just said I need you know I need a couple boxes of this teal green classic teal green So then I was like well, what am I going to do with it? you know and so I I came up with this wedge shape And I had a friend who had basic carpentry skills and like we made this pretty large wedge shape and I clad it with this tile, you know, and it hung on the wall like a painting, but it kind of felt like it was leaning over you a little bit, you know, when you came over it. And so for me, it was kind of like a memory object, you know, even though it looked like kind of a minimalist, you know, just a materials thing for me, it had all these other connotations and, um, uh, and it's funny, though, because I actually I went back to the school, because I'm doing a project there right now, and uh, that shape is actually in the architecture all over the place, which I wasn't aware of when I made it r- the first time. You know? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Do you think unconsciously? I think it was, yeah. Yeah. I think unconsciously I made that shape, so it's kind of like an extraction of the architecture right? Uh, clad with that tile.
1: Yeah, because any, anytime you go back, like even when I go to my childhood home, there's like unconscious... Yeah, definitely. stuff you know that I can relate to now. Like when I was in grad school I was doing paintings that were based off of the colors in my house growing up. So they were abstract but yeah. a lot of the colors I would get craft paint that we used to have at home yeah. so it related to that. And it was it was conscious but there was also an unconscious element to the way that I would like make shapes and you know. Yeah, like, totally.
0: It's all these it's associations. Yeah, and this memory and this kind of bodily memory you have of spaces and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I mean, so that was kind of the first, I felt some of the first uh, work that felt like mine after yeah. after school. Yeah. And and that kind of opened up something in my head, thinking about my time in that space. And so I did a bunch of drawings and some large sculptures based off of school desk shape, some stuff based off of clocks. so You know what I mean? And different things that were kind of these boring kind of things, you know, and I used those right. as kind of a, a way to try to, open up something else yeah you
1: know. yeah I mean you talk about a change, but because your memories of that place were probably you know the normal high school memories. yeah exactly no, no big deal you know like when I think of my high school I think yeah it was a small school There yeah. was some teachers who were you know goofy or what you know it is what it is but yeah. then that uh, to have it flipped to history writes over your memory totally is uh you know obviously not even nearly what it the trauma and the sort of that the people who were yeah, of course you know, yeah. involved yeah. Yeah. No, went through, not. but still, I mean, that's your childhood, you know. It's yeah. it's a kinda of like when an event like that happens, it violates our our sense of comfort with childhood because of what happened to young people. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like it's psychologically devastating on a level. And it, it, is. it still it, happens it was just something the other day in yeah. uh, in Thailand. So, yeah, in Thailand. I and mean, it's like it, you can't help but feel that you know
0: yeah especially when you become a father too you know oh yeah yeah
1: i know that's when it becomes extremely you know un un, not that you could ever understand it yeah but there becomes another element of like empathy i think as a parent that you're just like you know what how yeah
0: it's totally devastating when you think about it um but, yeah, so that was a thing. But you're right, though. I mean, the memories were just, you know, kind of common memories, but that experience kind of, yeah, it, it totally destabilized something that would have been very kind of, you know, banal, you know. And so, like, you know, so if you took, like, a big school desk shape, like a school desk, which is, like, kind of that awkward P, you know, yeah. and, you, and you blow it up to, like, I made, I carved a piece out of this stuff called Valkermat, which is this kind of colored institutional mdf sort of and i carved it with the cnc a friend of mine mike delucia had one and you know we made it you know about six feet by four and a half feet and you hang it on the wall you know it's an abstraction it has this feeling but there's a resonance there you know what i mean like right. people stand in front of it and you know because it's something you did stare at for hundreds of hours and never looked at you know right. <laughs> and, yeah. now, and now you're looking at it you know and it it can open up you know hopefully you know some some yeah like even if you
1: don't know exactly how it resonates yeah why do I want to stick my gum under this yeah yeah
0: (laughs) well the funny thing about that one was that we made it exactly you know we we really you know because I found a school desk it's funny because actually after I did the tiles I actually found a school desk on the street in uh oh really yeah and I took it home I took it to the studio I carried it to the studio and um and when we made that desk piece um we spent a lot of time trying to get that curve just right, you know, on the yeah. edge, because yeah, yeah. it's actually a really particular curve. It's not; it doesn't curve in the middle. It curves only a quarter of the way in, and then it slopes back. And uh, there's like a thing about that that when people looked at that piece, really got them. You know, like this little yeah. detail. They're like they remembered, you know, their hands going over that edge. You know, right? And it's
1: yeah, it's an unconscious yeah, like, yeah. You know, auto memory of some sort. Yeah, you know?
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I guess, and you know, it mirrors the the effect of a sort of minimalist sculpture or, or work of art in the sense that there's a universality to a shape or a form that you're connecting to. You're taking yeah. out the specific of representation, and you're, you know, um, you're you're leaning on you know people's memory of shape or what they yeah. bring to it as far as that but something specific like that that comes from a desk that a lot of kids went to school with you are ho- you know it's not like you're talking about it explicitly but there's the undercurrent that that someone can tap into that in a way
0: yeah that's what i would hope yeah um yeah yeah i mean that was and so that was that was kind of the first push of work you know yeah but, um but then you know It became much more – and then I did the newspaper pieces, which were Mm the – so basically I was doing the tile stuff, and then I got really interested in – similar with the school desk, I was interested in things that are kind of just around that you don't look at really, you know, or things that are – and so I had all these – you know, I'd buy a newspaper on my way to studio. This before, you know, you had smartphones. And so, like, I had one. I had a New York Post, and I uh, I shredded it. I I had a paper shredder. I shredded it, and I turned it into pulp. And then on the wall, I drew a square the original size of the New York Post, and I, with like, my hands patty-caked it into that square, you know? Yeah. And it fused, and it dried, and it had these brush—you know, my fingers, the way it pushed the material around, kind of had a kind of a crosshatch brushstroke kind of vibe to it. Yeah. And, it, and it, it dried a really nice gray, kind of a silvery gray on the wall. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of cool. And then I did it again a few days later and the color shifted just a little bit, you know. And I realized that the news stories and advertisements were tinting the paper each day. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it was different every day. And I thought that became another thing, you know, this, you know, uh, kind of way to mark time in a room, you know. Right. And getting into like monochrome painting, you know, and have it, you know, again with like this – you know, I, I liked always this idea of, like, you know, water becoming steam, becoming high, like the same thing going through different, you know, mutations or forms. Right, yeah. and, um, and chance, the element of chance. Yeah, of totally. In that. Completely, totally. And so that became a thing for a while.
1: Yeah. And then where did it migrate? I mean, so the work that uh, those sculptural installation things became pretty huge. Like they were on the yeah. floor going up under the wall. and yeah. I mean, was that site-specific enabled or were you doing that stuff in the studio or making maquettes or how? No,
0: no. I got, um, so I got more involved in color too because everything was so gray and like kind of sober and I was like, I just kind of needed So I started working with color a bit more and I got asked, I did a show Klaus and a curator at the Pulitzer Foundation um, asked me to make something for the main gallery space and I went over there and it's this, Today, Ondo building, and it's very beautiful. And there's this really elegant Ellsworth Kelly in the room, and they're like, you know, it's you know, you need to make something large for that. And then I just decided to, um, I basically took the the blue the floor, I don't know the floor print, I don't know what we call it, the space on the floor, and I.
1: Oh, the floor plan. Of yeah, the building? floor plan. Yeah. The floor
0: plan of that room, which was uh, uh, 18 feet by 50 feet, and right. just pivot on one corner and have it slide up the wall. You know, yeah. and so you know, I thought it really transformed that space and, um, and, uh, and that was site specific. So I would never have thought that until that, that opportunity came up that that never would have occurred to me.
1: Yeah. And were you, was that the first time you worked in response to a space that specifically?
0: Yes. Yeah. And that was really, I mean, I spent a lot of time. They, they flew me out like three or four times. And I spent a lot of time thinking about that space. Like, how does this thing – it's like making a jacket for a building or something. You know, like, how does, this yeah, thing, yeah. how does this thing fit in? When you walk through this room, how do you approach it? How long does it take you to walk across it? You know what I mean? How does light work? All these things. And uh, trying to make something using these tiles, which were already architectural, you know. Right. And something Where you can walk the building? on. Uh, in St. Louis. It's called the Pulitzer Foundation for the okay. Arts. And, and it's an Ando building? That's yeah. Cool. yeah, it's Yeah, nice. it's a very beautiful Ando, Ando building. It's the Pulitzer family, like Pulitzer Prize. They're, right, they're, yeah. It's kind of a private museum, but, um, but uh, yeah, so that was a big opportunity. You know, I had never worked at that scale and in that kind of space before.
1: Yeah, did it inform or shift any work after, or was it Oh, just, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because then afterwards, uh, Amy Smith-Stewart asked me to do something at the Aldrich Museum. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of took some of the things I learned from the Pulitzer into the Aldrich. And then after the Aldrich, um, uh, Rice University, the Moody, the curator there, Allison Weaver, asked me to make something for their space. And so there's, a, you can see, if you look at those three pieces, you can see this development. And it, it was very much, yeah, a big part of the the work. It changed everything, kind of. You know? Yeah.
1: And I mean, that's still a lot of institutional stuff out the gate, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, which was amazing because I, you know, I didn't have any end whatsoever, and all of a sudden, within like a year and a half, there were three things, and then also the people who were asking me to do what were really supportive, you know, and like yeah. just said, "All right, do what you're gonna do," you know. Now, were
1: you feeling at that point that your work, because you've been working long enough to where, and the work is shifting continually, like you're yeah. you're thinking of new bodies of work, new approach, new physical approach, is that something that's baked into your process? in perpetuity of like you know each time like you know we kind of cycle through work where yeah. we, whether it's a show or whether it's a year or whether yeah, yeah. it's five years whatever we have like our own intuitive cycles of work yeah I mean I'm sure some people maybe beat a dead horse forever yeah but um you know it's is it something that you're always refreshing like your approach and the physical approach and the materials or
0: um I mean not consciously you know, yeah. I mean, I think that I think you're kind of born with a set of interests and they kind of they kind of get reconfigured, you know, every right. couple of years or so. I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't I mean, material is what drives it, you know, first. That's true. Yeah. You know, there's something about materiality that I really respond to. Um And I think that in hindsight, you can draw a line that's pretty clear, you know, from one thing to the next. Right. But when I'm when I'm in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, it's. I don't know if I'm answering the question, but I don't – it's not a conscious thing. Okay, it's time to make paintings, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was just like – Force
1: in the trees thing. Like when you're in it, you're just in it, and then you need that afterwards. You're like, oh, okay, that work, I was doing this, and then I moved to this. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah, sometimes it's years later. You're like, oh, I really was like – there really was a kind of – fussy neurotic thing going on there that I wasn't aware of you know <laughs> you know
1: I blacked out there for three years yeah yeah
0: yeah you know and sometimes you're like what the hell were you th-? you know like you know, what yeah it?
1: it's, it's sometimes it happens for you in a way yeah. yeah I mean the longest body of work I think that I did like as like a piece was um after show I it, there was uh on uh, WKCR, the Columbia radio station. Uh-huh. It was the Ornette Coleman birthday broadcast or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I love Ornette Coleman. So yeah. I was like Googling them and I made a little portrait, like a little 9 by 12 portrait of them. And I'd never painted portrait. I mean, you know, back in the day or whatever, yeah, but yeah. not as part of my work. And I was like, oh, I kind of like this. And I was like, so I went out and I remember going to like Blick or some, or somewhere and I bought three more of them. And then I, I was like, well, who else do I do? Who else is in my brain? Yeah, you know? yeah. And then I did it. So three years later, you know, I had a show of 333 portraits. It's not like I set out to do that. I just yeah. blacked out on this project.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just did it, you know? That's amazing. It, yeah. You know, but, but sometimes you just follow, you know, you follow those interests. You well,
0: just, I mean, when you're making work, I think that, like, you know, you have your interests or your ideas or what you think you're about. But I think when you're making something, if there's a spark, you know. Yeah. In front of you, that's real. You know, your interests are only, you know, conscious brain or whatever. You know what I mean? And what you want to be. But if there's a spark in front of you, you know, I think most artists are going to go with that because that that exists. (laughs) Ideally, because
1: that's filled with fuel. The other stuff is like you're fueling it. Yeah, totally. Whereas when you get the spark, the spark fuels you back in a way. Yeah, you know. And uh, I was, you know, teaching, you talk to some students and they're like, I'm sure I was that way too in school. Like you, you go through these periods where you're just like, damn, you're just like searching, you know, like yeah. the spark isn't there. You're trying to find a spark. It's hard. Yeah. You need that spark to keep, to keep things moving.
0: Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, there's that Gustin uh, documentary. Uh, I think there's only one but anyway it's towards the end he's doing a retrospective and he's saying like you know you're just trying to keep alive <laughs> you know what I mean right like, you know like yeah. stay alive and uh, I think there's definitely a lot of truth to that
1: yeah both like in the studio and just getting to the studio and yeah day to day yeah and everything <laughs> you know? and being
0: a good dad and being a good partner and all you know right yeah, yeah. yeah and, like, Everything.
1: that's that's uh, not get into that that's yeah. a tall order yeah <laughs> <laughs> You have multiple kids? No, just one. Just a Just little girl, one six-year-old
0: yeah. girl. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I only have one too. I, I we couldn't. I feel like to, sometimes when I have friends who have two or three, I'm like, oh man, how do you do it?
0: My brother has three, and uh, it's God a, bless him. yeah, God bless him. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I can't
1: imagine. I mean, one. It was you know what's really funny too. Yesterday on the way home from school, um, my son said uh, he talked about. Um, he was talking to one of my friends about uh, who who has a nice car, and he's like, "Oh, he's like he, you," and he doesn't have kids, and he's uh-huh. like, "Oh, he's like you have this really nice luxury family SUV, but you don't have a family." Yeah, and he's like, "The only reason I have this luxury family SUV is because I, I don't, don't have, have- <laughs> kids." <laughs> I thought it was really funny that he had that light bulb moment of being like, oh, yeah, the kids are. And he was like, yeah, it's not cheap, right? And I was, really, <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not going to say that. But, you know, yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I was funny because I thought but people who have like eight kids, I'm like, how how on every level?
0: They I grew up in Colorado. There was a, a family friend of ours that had, I think, like 12 kids. What? And and the the oldest Catholic. were yeah you know the oldest were in college, and the youngest was like three. You know, so well, I guess
1: that works. You can have some of the older ones take care of the youngest. It ones. was
0: madness, though. I mean, when I <laughs> yeah, would when work. I when I would go visit, I I mean, I just you know, it seems so uh, you know, kind of stupid now, but I remember opening the pantry and all like the peanut butter and jellies and all that would, would have no lids and just forks in them, you know? Oh yeah. And it was just, you know, and there was like, and the, (laughs) and the kids were so tough, you know, and it was like real doggy dog world. A lot of boys, um, so they did it somehow i don't know i mean
1: i think you just get you just get by like those parents they can't possibly put a cap on something no like no. you know like where does it end yeah, you know yeah. you give up after four or something yeah. i i've told the story before but i had a friend growing up who he you know he had tons of i don't even know how many they were packed into the rooms it was probably yeah. like a three bedroom and they were all jammed in there yeah and uh you know i never saw the dad he was always working but one time <laughs> we came to his house and we we're throwing a Nerf football around and his dad was in the living room on the Lazy Boy. Yeah. And there was a TV and he was watching something and I was like, oh my God, his dad's there, you know? <laughs> and all the kids are running around like it's just bedlam. Yeah. Like, the house is bedlam. And I remember my friend threw the Nerf football and it hit him on the forehead and I swear to God he didn't blink. I <laughs> just sat there and kept looking at the TV and I was like, that is a man." I didn't understand at the time, obviously, yeah. but part of me understood that like that is a man who's not there anymore
0: yeah totally <laughs> just yeah yeah
1: he checked out and the mom was like superwoman she was doing yeah and, and god bless her she was like probably exhausted beyond but i mean the house was this
0: chaos madness total madness and uh seemed yeah. fun as a friend yeah it was nice to visit you know
1: yeah we could do whatever the hell we want we did yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: but yeah. yeah
1: so one that's yeah, a wise wise decision
0: <laughs> yeah one but one's been wonderful so
1: so when did you move up to you're you in providence yeah
0: wow. we i moved to providence uh during the pandemic you know because oh, that was right yeah, before or during kind of during like i was teaching at risd commuting back and forth so i taught two days a week so i'd go up sunday and come back tuesday night and yeah. um and this was like at the peak of like the, you know there was talk about not letting people leave New York or come back into New York. Do right, you remember yeah. all that? And there's all this. Oh yeah. There's all this yeah. thing about that. My wife was alone with our daughter, you know, who was three, and right. she was like, "Look, I'm not that, you know, I don't like that much that you're gone, you know, these three of days." Of course. And yeah, like, especially
1: in that climate.
0: Yeah, yeah, and she's like, you know, it's scary, and I don't. Know. So I said, well, why don't we just. Um, uh, well, you know, we had access to a one-bedroom apartment in Providence. I was like, "Well, let's just go stay there for to the end of the semester," which this is, right. you know, mid-March, yeah. and uh, and then we'll, you know, see how it goes. And then a couple months in, we just both really liked it, you know. Yeah. And it was like it was really beautiful. We're in, you know, a really pretty neighborhood, and I was like, "This is pretty excellent." You know, would you be interested in moving here? And she said, "Yeah."
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, anyone who really lives in New York knows that if you get a taste of the uh, like if you just go outside you'll be like oh yeah i could do this this is a lot easier yeah i mean i <laughs>
0: especially mean especially
1: given the stress of what we were going through too and the environment it was just totally like, and at that point people were talking about new york never it's just going to be like a zombie land and you know yeah, you know yeah. that bullshit of like it's yeah. done or whatever but i mean the thing is is like you know it historically you're so close to the city you could just go down and see all the shows and do all the stuff and not I'd have go to deal with no. Yeah. You don't have to deal with the day-to-day BS that we... Well,
0: with the kid, things are so much harder in New York, you know? I mean, yeah, not just... uh I know it. Yeah, cause... you know, like, you want to go to the zoo or something, you're like, okay, got to pack up, got to drive out, got to find parking, got to... Do... You know what I mean? All these things. You mean Times Square? Or, you, <laughs> oh, the zoo zoo. <laughs> the, the zoo zoo, one. the Bronx Zoo. Yeah, or the zoo. Oh, yeah, Times Square, if you want to, you know, watch... Yeah, same difference. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> um, no, it's epic, like, yeah. the
1: stuff you have to go through. You know, just grocery shopping.
0: Yeah, or whatever. yeah, yeah, exactly. And. uh and, uh, you know, and also at the time, because of COVID, um, people had transitioned online so much that I could, st- and also people weren't going out very yeah, at all, you know what I mean, yeah. in New York. So it wasn't like that all these things were happening, you know, and I felt No, like, you weren't
1: missing anything. Yeah. Well, we all had that moment of being like, wait a minute, we're here, this yeah. pandemic thing's happening, nothing's going on, we're paying all this, yeah. and we're benefiting nothing from being here, you yeah. know what I mean? yeah. And then we were just like doing it, just ride it out and be like, it's okay. It's going to come back at some
0: point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the I blind mean, hope. I think it's, I was there recently. Well, anyway, but I can get to New York you know, easily. So we. Oh, you yeah. know, I, I take the train all the time and uh, or drive. But um, but last time I was there, I was there last week and uh, it seemed like 99% back, the areas that I was Oh, man, at.
1: it is yeah. back. I mean, I, last night I walked down to Graham to get Carmine's. I went to get pizza, and the uh-huh. line was out the door. And yeah. then I walked next door, and there was a, a like a salon, like a nail place, yeah. and it's huge. And every like it was packed. And I was yep. like, "Yep, this it, we're back. It's totally back."
0: The pizza parlors and the nail parlors open up. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. When people are lined up, you know, yeah. back to back for that, yeah. which feels good because it was depressing for a while. So it's kind of nice to.
0: Yeah, you know. I went to, I remember in August of 2020, I, I had to come in for something, I forget. And I walked around, it was rainy, and Union Square had like four people in it. I remember being like, whoa. You know. Yeah,
1: it's a little downer. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, whenever you are in the city, and like on, I used to love going in on Sunday mornings, like really early into the city, because there's yeah. no traffic, there's no one. It's just quiet and peaceful. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. oh, this is nice. When it's a choice, it's great. Yeah. But whenever it's just like that, you're like, wait a minute, this isn't. This isn't right, yeah. you know. What I mean? Even though it's more convenient or quieter, you know, yeah. but it's just, you know, it's the city shouldn't be like this. There should be, I should be annoyed. <laughs> yeah,
0: fifteen <15%. laughs> yeah. percent. Yeah, right.
1: Like I should be irritated. Something, someone should be saying something weird to me when I'm walking down the street. Or else, <laughs> what, why am I here? <laughs> That's like, pay top dollar you know? for that. Yeah, right. That's what I'm paying for. Yeah. <laughs> so um but you you're you've taken to it and then your studio is it near yeah, or yeah it's in down the house or? no
0: it's down the street in an nice. old in an old mill building it's a beautiful studio i got really fortunate ah, stop really. bragging sorry, sorry. <laughs> i mean i mean it's uh, it's huge yeah, it's,
1: <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure it's the same as bushwick right <laughs> 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 i mean that's that is really the payoff isn't it of like getting out of the city is like ideally you can the space you know yeah i mean it's it, is it is it really been great to work in a space like that too?
0: Well, it was funny because the the Bushwick studio, you know, I had shared it with a friend for a long time, and then I took yeah. over the full lease. And it, uh, you know, I'd done so much sculpture in there, you know, with the tile stuff and these cast concrete right. things and stuff, that as I kind of slowly started moving into painting. Those are two very different studios. You know, a sculpture right. studio and a painting studio are very, very different. And like...
1: Go different architectural need and uh, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. The
0: dust and the, and the tools and all that. And um, I really was like, I wanted to get the hell out of there because I just had so much, you know, plaster dust and concrete dust on everything. And the walls yeah. were taken up with tools and all this stuff. And... Uh, so when I got to Rhode Island I was like, all right, this is gonna be a painting studio. I'm gonna fully commit to that and, and that right. that felt much nicer.
1: New start. New yeah, the Exactly show looks New good. Start. The Thank sh- you. The, yeah, the the show it was I mean so that's all is it cowhide
0: that you were Yeah, having? yeah, it's yeah, it's cowhide. Yeah.
1: How did you come to that?
0: Um I was starting I wanted you know, I was starting I kind of started being interested more and more interested in painting. And when I was working on just like the plain canvas, that kind of void or empty, you know, kind of, that, you know, I don't know. It just wasn't for me. (laughs) And so I wanted to work with something that kind of brought its own history to it, you know, that had its own, you know. And also I wanted something and I I have a sensibility that's fairly graphic and hard edge. I -hmm. wanted something that was very organic and had its own, you know, or, you know, like a record of some kind of growth you know, right. like, and um, and I saw that silhouette of the cowhide. I was like, oh, that's beautiful. It's such a great shape and it's really nice and it, and it holds paint really beautifully. And so I, um, it took a while to get there. I mean, it's not like I'm making it a lot more streamlined. You know, at first I was like, I'll cut pieces and glue them in. And, right. and eventually yeah. I was just like, I'll just mount the whole thing onto a piece of linen and stretch it. And then, yeah. and then make paintings that, you know, the first paintings really responded to it in a lot of ways. So that like, you know, that kind of arm... Uh, shape from the hide would lead into like a branch on a tree or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of fused. Um, but the ones, the show at, at Klaus up right now, that's not, that's not so much the case. It's basically a painting directly on top of the hide and sometimes they interact with each other and sometimes they pull apart. And, yeah. and um, I th- think that actually brought more attention to the skin than when it was yeah. t- totally integrated into the image.
1: The holes were cool too, like seeing through the work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the holes were, um, you know, like some of these skins have these holes because of uh, imperfections, you know. So they don't want you making a a bag or something and then finding out there's a scar there, you know. And so you have these holes. And a lot of the things that I was dealing with, especially in the beginning, were like leaves and things like that that have these holes that bugs have eaten, you know. And I was like, oh, this kind of works nicely. It's this kind of deterioration, you know. Yeah, definitely. And, And um, and also because the skin's so thick, the hole is very graphic. You know, right. um, it doesn't. It doesn't normally when you cut a hole in canvas, it kind of flops. You know, it becomes yeah. pa- becomes pretty passive.
1: But, no, those holes were sturdy.
0: Yeah, they're sturdy. They're really you know, and so they they hold their own graphically with the painting itself actually. You right, know, which was yeah. something that when I saw that I was like, oh, I should run with that. You know, yeah, that on, bring that on board. No, it,
1: it definitely that physical presence is definitely there.
0: Yeah, thank you. You
1: know, in the work so. Uh, all right last question what in the studio what's the soundtrack silence Uh, chopin
0: uh, (laughs) Dawkins. i would listen i would like some chopin uh a lot of um a lot of post-punk stuff you know yeah a gang of four pill fall a lot of bob dylan um a lot of 70s and 80s bob dylan actually and oh yeah yeah i think like the Planet Waves, Blood on the Track, Desire, Up into Saved is actually kind of where I'm. That's your sweet spot. Kind of my sweet spot, and also there's a, a on that bootleg series. There's one called um, Telltale Signs, which is stuff he did in the 80s and 90s, which uh-huh. I, I really recommend. And then a lot of you know political podcasts and some and some true crime podcasts too. Nice, I yeah. Got, I got, Mix it up. Yeah, yeah. That's that's basically what I'm at.
1: You still doing zines.
0: No, no. no. <laughs> it was funny, though. When I was in Colorado, there was a, a, a couple of kids that had one called Rats in the Hall, which uh-huh. I think is named after, I think it's a Rancid song or something. So anyway, but uh, that was in Evergreen. And when I was in Providence my freshman year, the record store down the street used to carry it randomly. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I was like, holy <laughs> shit, you got Rats in the Hall. Small world, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. The
1: zine world. I mean, Maximum Rock and Roll was like, you know, that thing was epic when I was in college. You know, yeah. Such an important thing.
0: Really big deal, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, we were reading that. I mean, zines were like, and there was some energy behind it, you know, which was fun. And we were, like, the zines I was making were, you know, they were weird. It's just, there there was no rhyme or reason to it, and I was collaging stuff into them, and I worked at a children's book library where I went to undergrad and there was all these like leftover materials and stuff from projects that were just there, like hole punches and vellum and colored stuff with paper. Oh, wow. and yeah. I was just trying to throw everything at it. It was fun.
0: Yeah. Do people still do it? I don't know.
1: I'm, I'm sure. I, 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 hope so. I don't, I haven't kept up with it to be honest, yeah. but I just like, you know, seeing those desks in that shape. Yeah. Anytime I see anything that reminds me of a zine, I'm just like, yep, I'm there. I'm you're in. there. You're in. Yeah. Like I almost can't go to Printed Matters Book Fair thing because I'm. Uh, it's like overwhelming. It's like too much.
0: That's you're totally nostalgia.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. It's it's. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, last time I went to Printed Matter Book Fair, which was uh, two years ago, I think they had an entire section devoted to Four Thunder. Oh really? Yeah. They had in one of the like, alcoves, but it's like a tall alcove on the first floor. They had uh, posters and stuff like floor to ceiling. Uh, I I don't even think they were for sale. I think they might have just been to like for appreciation. It was like a show. Yeah, it was kind of like a show. They snuck in, and I I saw. I recognized it. I was like, "What the hell?" You know, it was so nice to see it. It was great. Yeah,
1: that's cool. Yeah, I made. You know, I did the a book for the podcast. Like I have a book. I saw that. That's congratulations. It's zine. It's zine shaped that, or at least. You know that that scale. Yeah, I think. Yeah, like totally. I wanted to have it be that thing you could throw in your bag, or like it's it. You know, zines have a specific kind of like scale and way they function in yeah. your hand and stuff. I mean, this is obviously like way thicker than a zine yeah. would be, but you know, I wanted that kind of feel
0: to it. It's you know, yeah, that like I don't know, like eight by five, you know, scale or yep. seven by five, four around there, or yeah. go large. But like right. that, that, that scale in between those two is, is uh, useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I,
1: I feel like we just—I don't know—artists or just human, we're just always trying to get back anything that reminds us of the time of being a kid when you were excited about stuff. You know? Yeah. Is like gold.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other thing about great about being a parent, because you get to kind of go through it again in a different that's way. That's true. Yeah. It's like yeah. A, uh, Revise, uh, not revised, but just different version of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Well, wait till they get old enough to start making fun of you or telling you how old you are.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's you
1: know. a that's a kickback, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but know. then it comes around. It comes around. It's you know. It's like yeah. everything. It's cyclic. You know.
0: Yeah. Do you draw with your kid ever? Or your kid's well, older I mean, than mine. When he was
1: when he was young. Mm-hmm. No. Not really. I drew for him, but mm-hmm. he wasn't really into. Drawing that. I mean, he did when he was really little. He would yeah. make these really cool drawings, but he got into music and other stuff. Oh, cool, yeah. But, I mean, he's in high school and he goes for film, so he's into film stuff. It's
0: a totally different deal, yeah. Yeah,
1: he's, it, you know, it's the internet takes the... I mean, uh he goes to see art shows and he's into it, I think. He's yeah. really into fashion, too. So, I think, yeah, I've never pushed art. Yeah. I mean, he's been around it. So, if he, if he takes to it, it'll be part of his life in yeah, a sense yeah. of... He'll be informed as a spectator if he doesn't do it, but he's a creative dude. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. But he's his own, you know, New York City kid in high school. They're like their own thing.
0: Yeah. And dad's a painter and all. He knows all. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he cares about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. Although, yeah, you know, once in a while, it, it has its, it's, there's moments, I guess.
0: It's funny. You know, he, I watched the documentary on Pull Up a couple of years ago and the, guitarist finances a, a girl soccer team for his daughter. You know? Oh, really? And they're called the pulp whatever. Oh, you know? cool. <laughs> and uh and the daughter, they were one of the kids who's near the the team's like, well what's pulp? And she's like, my dad's shit band. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and you could almost hear him saying you wouldn't be here if it yeah, weren't for them. <laughs> <that's it. laughs> the the perfect dad line. Yeah, as, it, a, totally. as a result. Um, cool. So where uh, where do people I mean Klaus Mm-hmm. The show is up until when? I think the
0: one more week, fifteenth. Fifteenth. Yeah.
1: So it's going to be tough for people to get it when this comes out. How, how long uh, does it'll it? It'll be, a, it'll be a tight squeeze. Okay. So, but people might be able to, you know, when you're listening to this, "Go Run to Tribeca." Yeah,
0: put it on. <laughs> put your headphones on and start walking already. And then by the time you you're done with the podcast, you'll be there.
1: But their website. Yeah, we have a website. I'm not even. What's the pronunciation? You tell. Me, I'm my German is.
0: Yeah, it was Klaus von Nixhagen.
1: Nixhagen. Yeah. Got it. Which it, means
0: nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> when Klaus. you know when they started, it's a name. It's like a it's a German pun off a right. name that means nothing, and. Uh, right. I think it was a kind of satire on a pretentious gallery name, but yeah. they kind of got stuck with it because then they they started doing all right, and. Uh, I
1: love it when the joke. Like, someone at Soylent was, like, kidding. Yeah. And now they're, like, it is real. Yeah. (laughs) And they named their drink Soylent. And now they're with it. Totally. Yeah. It's like their title is a joke, but it works.
0: Oh, even, I was thinking of the Beatles. I just realized, like, six months ago that it's a pun off (laughs) beat. Oh, really? Yeah, like, Beatles, B-E-A-T. Like, we got the beat.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah.
0: I didn't even. Yeah, I never thought. Wow, you
1: just. I never thought of yeah, that. Yeah,
0: I just I thought of it recently, and I was like, "Oh, that's a thing that you would make as an 18 year old or something, who's into 50s rock and roll, you know." And now, you're, right. And now that's what you have for this, wor- you know, world changing band.
1: <laughs> oh wow! Well, there was you learn something new every day, yeah, and yeah. there's my life before today and <laughs> after. <was> a thanks. <laughs> yeah, <it's> <laughs> the-, <laughs> the music's so good, you don't even think about the. No, anymore. exactly. Yeah. Like you've never really think, Beatle... Or, you know what I no, mean? It's, totally. just like the, it's the Beatles. you know. Just some it's sounds.
0: Funny. Some sounds. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's all you think about. Yeah.
1: Well, so, so they can go to the website. I'm gonna and make, go to the website check out, check out, your,
0: out the work. And um, yeah. And this shows up for another, when we're, we're you know, broadcasting this, another seven days.
1: Great to meet you. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah real pleasure.
0: It's so much fun. Thank you so much for asking me. And Sure. Um, thank you. Yeah.
1: sound and vision is recorded edited and produced by myself brian alfred you can find out more about me at alfred studio on instagram or brian alfred.net you can find out more about the podcast at sound or on instagram you see images of the artist's work at sound and vision podcast if you're interested in getting the why i make art podcast book It is $25. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it from Atelier Editions. You can get it from Target. You can get it from Barnes & Noble. Wherever you get books. And if you do get it, please leave a rating and a review for it. Because it helps out getting it on the radar of other people who might want it. Many thanks to David for taking the time out to talk. His show is up and just about to close at Klaus on the Tribeca. So go check that out. And many thanks to Michael Lovett for the introduction. You can check out his music at Metronomy or Nazca Lines. Big thanks to Fulcrum Coffee Roasters for supplying my caffeine habit and keeping me awake on long nights of editing and making work in the studio. And big thanks to golden artist colors who make incredible gesso mediums paints and oil paints williamsburg oils core watercolors they make great stuff also make sure to check out the new york studio schools marathon programs they are running those in november thursday november 10th through monday november 14th You can find out more about that at nyss.org. A lot of cool people coming up, some cool new podcasts. I'm really excited about some of the people we're going to be talking to in the next few weeks. So stay tuned, subscribe, leave a rating review, and I'll keep them coming.